0: Welcome to Island Idols. I'm Barry
1: Menikoff calling in from Honolulu, and you are...
0: Aaron Menikoff calling in from Atlanta, and this is a podcast about books and life. Well, here we go. This is season number three of Island Idols. It's episode 25. It is 2020. 2020 is not yet over. Uh, My father, Barry Menikoff, is still hunkered down in Hawaii. I am still in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I think it's safe to say that we have not traveled less for decades than we have this year. You have at least traveled.
1: I'm what I've not traveled at all. I'm going bonkers.
0: Uh you! I can't imagine. I can't imagine what it's like being on that tiny island for that long.
1: Well, I'm not going to try to describe it. What are you doing to keep busy? It's difficult. It's challenging, but I'm not yet ready for the uh, to be carted away. So I'm uh, I'm glad about this uh, episode. At least it gives me something to do. It does give you something to do, and. Uh, If
0: everything goes according to plan, uh, this episode is going to come out, well, December 2nd. So November will have passed, but this is our 25th episode of Island Idols. And uh, in November, I celebrated my 25th wedding anniversary. How crazy is that?
1: Wow. Congratulations. That's a silver anniversary, isn't it?
0: It is a silver anniversary. Apparently every year has something, but
1: like. Silver, gold, and diamond. That's all people remember. Silver, gold, and diamond. Exactly. Exactly. But there's like a plastic year. Uh, There may be plenty of other things, but, uh, never having gotten to that stage, it's beyond my ken.
0: Well, for all of our listeners, it's December and, uh. Look, I think December is when many podcasts uh, take a break, but here we are. We're we're picking it back up right in December 2020. We are eager for the coronavirus to be in the rearview mirror. It is not, but we move on with life as we must. And this season, we are devoting an entire season to the short story. In this particular episode dad, is uh, intended to be an an introduction to the short story. And uh, I want to show you some books that I have on my desk. Dad, you can see them. I just want to show you a few books. Let's start with this. It's called Modern American Short Stories. I don't know if you've ever seen this, dad. I can see it. 1945, edited by a man by the name of Bennett Cerf, C-E-R-F.
1: Well, we know who Bennett Cerf was. Well, I don't. Who has been in Random House. Really? Yeah. And he was also one of the original cast members of What's My Line? Really? Old radio program. So
0: let me tell you what he said in his introduction. He said there are only two valid excuses for adding another anthology to the ever-expanding array. One is the hope that it can introduce at least a handful of insufficiently exploited talents to the general reading public. The other, in the words of Frank Morgan, is to make a little money.
1: Hmm. Well, so. Dennis is a storied figure in publishing history, so I won't go and give a little, I won't give a little bit of a, a little blurb on him, but uh, he was the publisher. He was also very notable because he was the one that introduced the modern library to American uh, readers. What do you mean by that? Creating these, these republications of what you might say called classic American. Uh, writers for widespread distribution.
0: Now, Dad, a number of years later, one of your first academic publications was the short story. Now, this came out in 1969, and it was a second edition came out in 1975. This is published by or edited by you and a gentleman by the name of Robert A. Rees, the short story, an introductory anthology. And you've, you've devoted a fair bit of your career to writing about the short story and introducing uh, readers to short stories. Uh, I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing how it came about that you devoted so much time and interest to the short story.
1: Sure. That's actually an easy question to answer. It's an easy, because it's, of course, it's uh, autobiographical. When I was doing my dissertation on Henry James, whom we talked about in one of the earlier seasons, we talked about James's great novel, The Portrait of a Lady. But James was also a short story writer, although he didn't always call them short stories, he called them tales. And James's collected tales run to about 10 volumes. And I was doing my dissertation. I did my dissertation on uh, the short uh, the tales of Henry James. So uh, I became in, I became involved in writing about the short story as I was writing my dissertation. And then, as, as soon as I got out of graduate school, I had the opportunity with Robert Reese, Bob Reese, who was a colleague of mine in graduate school. To do an introdu- to do an introductory anthology of short stories. Now, this was a text, and uh, at the time, college, college, uh, they were not a lot of short story anthologies on the market for college classrooms. There was one one uh, text in particular was called Story and Structure, edited by Lawrence Perine, and that had the uh, that had the majority of the uh, market uh, locked up. And the editor at Little Brown was looking for a book that would compete with that. And so, you know, we got the contract for them and we we had made a proposal. And uh, our edition became a competitor for that story and structure in 1967, I believe, or 69. And then we did a second edition in 1975, which was somewhat, you know, dramatically changed a lot of the stories. But that is what... uh, is what developed or amplified my interest in the short story as a form. I had done so much work on it, writing about Henry James, and then doing the preparation for the short story text, that I became uh, involved in uh, writing about the short story as a form.
0: Did you put out this anthology because you saw it as a a helpful tool for teaching? I mean, there was just nothing that you really wanted to use, and so you decided to just... You know, put one together on your own. Obviously, uh, there was this competitor that you mentioned a moment ago, but was this a tool for the classroom? I guess is what yeah, I'm asking.
1: Absolutely. It was a teaching, it was a teaching anthology. And uh, I think the best, the most gratifying part of it was when we were doing the second edition, a little brown had sent out a lot of queries to teachers before the second edition asking them for feedback. And a lot of the feedback we got was that this was a, a very good uh, teaching tool, and it was, uh, in many ways, it was a competitor to Perrine. In many ways, a lot of a lot of the teachers preferred it, so uh, it served the dual purpose. It you know it provided a classroom text, and of course, it was a very it was a great help financially when I was starting out as an assistant professor, trying to supplement my meager income at the University of Hawaii. I'm really glad that 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 worked out. Dad, a, uh,
0: an obvious question for for you, um, perhaps a little bit of a silly question. But a, a short story is, you know, obviously, by definition, shorter than a novel. Uh, anyone could get their mind around that. But I wonder, are there any other fundamental differences between a short story? And a long story, when one thinks of the short story or the tale. Any any other differences besides merely the length?
1: Well, yes. I mean, there's always been a, a lot of uh, discussion as to what, what, what constitutes a short story, i.e., what's the length of a short story? And uh, because that's such a, in some ways, such an elastic issue, they have the term novella. I think the, I don't know if we talked about this earlier. They have the term novella, which is a story that's longer than a short story but shorter than a novel. And uh, the French word nouvelle, which is a term that Henry James used, but uh, in terms of actually length, it's very hard to say. I mean, some people would say once it's beyond thirty thousand words, it's no longer a short story. Some people would push it up to maybe 50,000 words, but that would be the outer limits of it. But in terms of uh, formal differences, one of the things traditionally a short story cannot do is develop character, which is what a novel does. Over over the course of a novel, a character can be introduced, go through changes, and at the end be a little different than he might've been or she might've been at the beginning, or not have changed at all, but have grown but short stories are too. The amount of space is too compressed for that. So character development is usually not a uh, a component of the short story. I think that I read somewhere that one
0: distinguishing feature of a short story, by virtue of its length, is it's not going to have multiple points. It's going to have one main point, one main idea that it's that it's driving home. I suppose. Whether or not that's true depends a bit on the author and whether, you know, some authors, I suppose, postmodern authors would say, I don't have a point. But taking that off the table for a moment, is that is that accurate as well, that there's a simplicity to a short story that you're not going to necessarily, hopefully, find in a novel?
1: Well, I wouldn't say simplicity, but I would say there's a concision. The short story is has to be concise, and in being concise, it has to make its point quickly, swiftly, and without any kind of, uh, uh, you know, over elaborate structure. So we talked once, you and I were talking about there's no such thing as a perfect novel, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Except I said, you know, of course, David Balf was a perfect novel, maybe the Scarlet Leather is a perfect novel, blah, blah. But, there are perfect short stories because a short story is, is short enough to be able to be uh, achieve a kind of perfection. Whereas in a novel, you know, a writer can get carried away or a writer can be, you know, verbose and still not destroy the novel. Now, that may seem like uh, writers might, like that, might, might not like to hear that, but there are a lot of writers who are not especially great stylists who can overcome that in a novel. Theodore Dreis is a great example. An American Tragedy, which is a great novel. It takes you sometimes close to 75 or 100 pages before you get to the point where you realize you may be reading a great novel. You haven't got that luxury in a short story. By the way, I have to read this because about two days ago was the birthday of Nadine Gordimer. Nadine Gordimer was a South African writer who won the Nobel Prize. She was, she was in, you know, she wrote novels that are widely acclaimed, but she was also a great short story writer. And it was just her birthday a couple of days ago. And so I saw this and I thought I'd reproduce it. She said something about the short story, which she was a great fan of. She says, the short story form contact is more like the flash of fireflies in and out. Now here, now there in darkness, short story writers see by the light of the flash. Theirs is the only thing one could be sure of, the present moment. And what she's really talking about is the conciseness, the immediacy, the impact that a quick strike makes. And that's really what the short story, one of the things a short story can do.
0: Dad, I fear we're going to go off on a tangent here, but in our next episode, we're really going to drive dive into your introduction to a work called The Complete stories of Robert Louis Stevenson. Uh, You wrote a lengthy introduction to this collection of short stories. I want to dip in to talk about one thing that you perhaps alluded to in the quote that you just made. In that introduction, you say that the the short story, when it came of age, or became very popular, was a response to a fast paced age. It was a response to a world that was changing, a world that was speeding up. And it needed, you say something like, it needed a genre to um, to portray itself. And that that genre, that tool was, was the short story. It's quick. It's short. It's doable. It's something that someone can consume and digest in a relatively short amount of time. And so in a fast-paced world, you know a short story in written form is is a wonderful thing now here's the tangent i'm about to drive off a, a cliff we spend so much time on this episode talking about books and talking about stories we're going to talk about short stories but at the end of the day the the, the all virtually all of our listeners spend hours and hours watching television i don't know how many people are reading short stories now, that's uh, that's just a reality of, of our age. What do you make of it? And the reason I ask this is because, you know, I, as a pastor, I'm constantly dealing with, you know, thinking about uh, how we use our time and how we spend our time and and good ways to use our time. And uh, you know, spending time with a short story to me seems valuable. It just seems hard to overcome the allure of the short story on the television screen.
1: Well, I mean, there's so many, I mean, there were so many side issues there. I was, I I thought you might be leading up to saying now with the, uh, with the internet, you know, the short story is too long. We now have texts and, you know, you want to have people writing stories just for, just for the phone, which could be maybe so many characters, you know, there are so many things. I I don't know. My mind is sort of uh, wandering about which way to go. The short story emerged, really, as you said, late in the 19th century, as an alternative to that three-volume novel that was a typical Victorian novel. So it was, and all people, everybody, could not write short stories. You see, the the Victorian novelists were really not able to write short stories. They were just, it, they were just too inclined to these long plots and these long melodramas. And to get to be concise was not something that they were, they were really able to do. Uh, I don't want to go into the whole history of Stevenson and Kipling and the beginnings of the modern short story, but it's true. The age of the 1890s was really the explosion of the short story form. And magazines published them, newspapers, stories were published in newspapers, And so they were easily accessible, and they were able to be to be read by a reader. Now, fast forward to the present. I think a story is still manageable because most stories today, if you go to the magazines, they're very short. And even in Stevenson, some of Stevenson's stories would not qualify as short stories today. They're too long. I mean, some of Edgar Allan Poe's short stories would be considered too long for a magazine. So even today, the short story has become. A little shorter than than ordinary or than usual. Although, Hemingway yeah,
0: yeah. But what do you say to the individual who says, "You know, the short story's been replaced by the
1: forty-minute television show. It's just been replaced." You could say the same thing about the novel. To say the novel's been replaced by serial television. I mean, there's no real answer to that. I mean, people that want to read will read. People that don't want to read are going to be basically seduced. It's easier to watch. I mean, I know this myself. It's easier to watch The Queen's Gambit, which I think is a wonderful television show, about chess, Mm -hmm. than to read a book. There's no question Mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're talking about competing entities, yes, but still there's something to be gained. There's always something to be uh, valued and treasured in reading. And if you're willing to do the reading, you know, there's no, there's no alternative. And short stories are more, are more, are more easily, they're easier to accommodate than somebody doesn't want to sit down and read a novel by Tolstoy. That's a commitment, you know. They're giving mm-hmm. themselves a couple of months. But then, I mean, if you want to read a short story by Hemingway, it doesn't take you more than you know, twenty minutes. So it's not the same commitment.
0: I think that, uh, and we've talked about this before as well, but I think from my vantage point, I, uh, coming from the vantage point of Christianity and I, uh, and, and certainly you would share this in Judaism, uh, both Judaism and Christianity are, are religions based on the book. Their faiths rooted in this idea that God spoke in words and, um, and that is a reality that that transcends time. So in both these traditions, and there are other traditions as well, certainly uh, Islam has a different relationship to the Quran than Judaism and Christianity have to uh, Torah and the New Testament, the Bible as a whole. There's this sense that there's something gained by engaging with words that's lost when you're engaging with the same idea in pictures. So for me, the idea of reading is a very theological concept. Now, that may not be a direction you want to go with regards to how you, if you will, defend the art of reading, but I would say it's very much a part of my interest in attending to words is because I think that that's part of bearing the image of God, is engaging in the, um, in the medium that, that he's given.
1: That must sound very strange I'd to be you. Interested to know that one of the early great short story writers, James Joyce, used the term "epiphany," which was, of course, a religious term, torn from the Catholic uh, uh, Catholic religion, to describe a technique in the short story that he he uh, aspired to. So, in describing that technique, he took a term from Catholic you know, uh, I don't know what it's called. It's not the Catholic mass, but he taught the epiphany and that he used that to apply to, uh, the understanding of what he was doing in the short story. So there's a trans, the transference of a very, you know, shall we say a religious person who had pa- who had discarded his religion, but still took the vocabulary of the religion mm-hmm. by what he was doing in the, uh, in his own work.
0: Well, I hope we can talk a little bit more about that next week because I was fascinated by, or next time, I was fascinated by uh, your assessment of the relationship between the short story and religion, at least in the life of Robert Louis Stevenson. But let me speak back to you a quote that I found from your short story anthology, where you and Bob Rees say this about good short stories. You say they are the surest introduction to the art of fiction, the surest introduction to the art of fiction what did you mean by that the surest introduction
1: well I suppose I uh, it's hard to know what I might have meant by that but I think it's probably because one of the, when I, we, we're talking now about the perfection of the short story I mean very little in, in a good short story very little is amiss so one thing a short story writer has to be a stylist. A novelist doesn't have to be a great stylist to be a great novelist, although that might be disagreed by some people. But you can't be a great short story writer without being a good stylist. So the language is always going to be, it's going to be front and, front and center. In other words, when you're reading a short story, you're conscious of the language in the sense that every sentence is really going to be well-turned. The diction is going to be very exact. And so when you think of fiction as an art in which the writer is manipulating the tools of language, the short story is a great introduction to that. And I would say, I think well, that makes that's me- what I would have, have meant primarily, you see, the introduction to language and the introduction to concision and uh, precision in language.
0: Well, I think your answer to that question, and by the way, it makes me really look, I'm just, I'm looking forward to reading some short stories and talking about them with you, recognizing that a good short story is uh, is such a a fine piece of work, both stylistically and uh, in its ability to convey, you know, content. But I wanted to ask, you know, if I was a fiction writer, should I get good at the short story before graduating on to, let's say, writing a novel? is like the short story the training wheels that one must you know master before he can move on to writing something greater and i guess i guess listening to you there could be some who are really masters of the novel who are who are never going to be a master of the short story and maybe vice versa
1: that's that's actually an interesting question i and my response was i was almost going to deflect it by saying well this is the kind of question that should be addressed to a creative writing instructor. You know, someone who's a writer and who teaches creative writing classes and has students coming in and some wanting to write short stories, maybe some wanting to write poems and others wanting to say, no, I just want to write a novel. So I can't really go in that direction, but I can speak to the question of are all short story writers necessarily novelists and vice versa. A lot of short story writers, good short story writers, and then quickly turn to the novel. There are some short story writers who never really write novels. there are fewer group. There used to be a fewer group. But, for example, I take an example like a figure like John Sheever. John Sheever was an amazing writer of short stories. He was a New Yorker writer. Another one was the, uh, one of my favorites, Catherine Ann Porter who wrote the Flowering Judas story that is in that anthology, who wrote the collection Pale Horse, Pale Rider. She was primarily a short story writer. Now, the problem for these writers historically is that publishers could not make money on publications of short stories. So if, you, if they published somebody, a new writer, a collection of short stories, they would tell them, okay, you have to give us a novel next because the short stories did not sell. And it was, a standard, it was a standard principle with publishers that they would only publish short stories if you would then provide them a novel which they could try the market and make money at. It was not until Sheever and Catherine, An- Catherine Ampora very late, wrote one novel, Ship of Fools, that became a big bestseller. But John Cheever won the Pulitzer Prize for his collected short stories Late in Life. Catherine and Porter they also collected their short stories. But essentially they were short story writers. Now it was not until I think the, the 1960s when a man named Raymond Carver published a collection of short stories that did become a bestseller. That publishers suddenly turned around and said, "Okay, you don't have to write novels. If you just want to write short stories, we'll take you on." And so that's I, that's not exactly answering your question, but you have somebody like Hemingway, somebody like Fitzgerald, somebody like Fitz Faulkner. They wrote great short stories, and of course, they became great novelists.
0: Okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna play a little game, Dad. Wow! All right. We're going to play a game. This is like a um this is like a game show and I'm the host. Okay. And and and, and you're the con- you're the you're the contestant. Okay. Okay? So, I've chosen 10 names, all right? And some of them you've already touched on. All right? I'm going to give you a name and you're going to tell us very briefly because I've got 10 names, you're going to tell us the uh, the significance of this author to the uh, the genre of the short story, the contribution that this person made to the short story. Wow,
1: I'm not ready right? for this. And if you
0: okay. if you win, who knows what kind of amazing prize that you're going to get? I mean, just okay. wow. So there is really a lot at stake here. Are you ready? Okay, go for it, Alex. All right, Nathaniel Hawthorne.
1: Well, Hawthorne was really the, the, the first, along with Poe, the first great American short story writer. And he introduced a lot of the techniques of the short story that were followed by people like, uh, people like Stevenson later on. And he had enormous influence in the short story as a genre, no question about it. He was probably the most important American influence on the short story, along with Edgar Allan Poe. I'm passing over Washington Irving because our readers are probably not interested in Washington Irving. Mm, okay. Robert Louis Stevenson. Stevenson was the founder of the modern American shorts, the modern, the modern short story. Basically the modern short story flows from Robert Louis Stevenson. More on that next time. New Arabian Nights, which Stevenson published in 1882 became the model for, readers, for, for writers following Stevenson who wanted to write short stories, including Bridget Kipling and Jack London.
0: Catherine Ann Porter.
1: Catherine Ann Porter was probably the first American short story writer who achieved prominence solely as a short story writer and whose stories are uh, are almost, some of them are close to perfection, if not perfection itself.
0: And we should add, as you mentioned in a previous episode, her story, Pale Horse, Pale Rider, is about the Spanish flu. She contracted the Spanish flu in Denver when it was out and about, and she wrote Pale Horse, Pale Rider. Is that right? Correct. I didn't know okay. she
1: contracted the flu. I thought she was writing about some other people. But I think okay. she
0: did, but obviously she survived. F. Scott Fitzgerald. Scott Fitzgerald was...
1: was Wrote Scott Fitzgerald's great short stories as are are among the best in American writing. He also wrote great magazine stories. So he represents both a, a short story writer who wrote commercial fiction and a short story writer who wrote fiction that became, shall we say, artistic, you know, fiction. Although he often didn't know the difference between the two of them in his own mind. D. H. Lawrence. Well. In the English short story, Lawrence is at the top, and along with James Joyce. I would say Lawrence's short stories are as good as any any that have been written. What was unique about
0: Lawrence besides how good he was?
1: The passion of his stories, the uh, symbolic, uh, you know, resonance of the stories, and uh, I would say probably some of the uh, the sexuality in a lot of the stories.
0: William Faulkner.
1: Faulkner is very hard. I'm not a great Faulkner, uh, a scho- I'm not a Faulkner scholar, and I have never found Faulkner that easy to deal with. But I think the stories in uh, Go Down Moses are probably one of the great contributions to American writing. The bear, you know, uh, is the one that stands out.
0: Did he introduce that sort of stream of consciousness type of uh, uh, approach in writing?
1: He didn't create it, but in the short story, he probably uses it more than any American writer.
0: Okay. Ernest Hemingway.
1: Well, Hemingway is probably the most important writer of the the short story in America, and indeed English. In a way, he changed the way the short story was, uh, was understood and written.
0: Whoa, that's a big statement.
1: It's a big statement, but it's probably as close to accurate as you can get. Hemingway was a difficult man; not a very. There are a lot of things we can say about his biography, but about his contribution to American writing, to American prose, and to the short story, he probably stands unequaled.
0: Richard Wright.
1: Wright wrote tremendous short stories, and in the, in the early ver- his first version, Uncle Tom's Children are uh visceral you know stories about his growing up in Mississippi but his last collection eight men are among the best American short stories uh of his time I use one of his short stories the man who lived underground in that anthology
0: yeah I'm hoping we talk about that later uh, in the season Eudora Welty
1: Edora Welty was a terrific, uh, terrific writer. I mean, and her short stories are are a, uh, shall we say? I mean, they're like a, like an epic, an epic view of the world of the South that she knew and that she she and that she cataloged. Her equivalent would be somebody like Alice Munro in in Canada today. Truman Capote. Truman Capote was probably the. Uh, had the greatest natural talent of his generation, that's what I would say. Whether he he didn't prop he didn't he didn't uh, maximize it as they would say in uh, the accountant's world, but uh, in terms of natural ability, I think Capote was the most talented of his generation. And he wrote some. He wrote a few great stories.
0: So, Dad, that's ten. ten? lots of names not on that list that uh, I gave you: Irwin Shaw, Flannery O'Connor. Uh, Marilyn Robinson, Cormac McCarthy. You did mention James Joyce, John Cheever, Raymond Carver.
1: Cormac McCarthy, a short story writer and Marilyn Robinson? Well, I think so. Okay. I'm not questioning. I, I don't know. Irwin Shaw, of course, I should tell you, is one of my favorites. I have a particular regard for Irwin Shaw. And I think Irwin Shaw is one of the great short story writers of American uh, in American his literature. And pe- very few people know him. Another great short story writer that's on the list is John O'Hara. John O'Hara created the New Yorker short story. So how's that for more names? So that's what we want to do, Dad, for the rest of this season.
0: We want to work. Well, again, our next episode, I want to ask you a little bit more questions about the what the short story can, can accomplish. I want to talk a little bit about whether or not you think that an author needs to have some sense of the meaning of life in order to write a successful short story. In other words, how how thought through does an author need to be when it comes to what life is and what, what life's about? If an author doesn't have an idea of what life's about, even if the answer is, you know, littered with uncertainty, can he or she successfully put in words something that is going to stand the test of time these are some ideas that you well these are some ideas that you really talk about in your introduction to stevenson's short stories
1: let let's let's take it from the sublime to the ridiculous a name that hasn't been mentioned but everybody knows is o henry mm-hmm. everybody knows o henry but nobody ever reads his stories and nobody ever there's always still an o henry prize which has started i like, think back in early 20th century, maybe 1913 or 14. Oh, Henry was a a phenomenal short story writer. And he wrote a huge number of stories, but nobody, you know, academics don't take him seriously. But Henry said he could write a story about anything. And so he's in a restaurant with a friend and the friend says to him, okay, can you write a story about this restaurant? And Henry says, yeah, and he takes out you know, he turns the tablecloth over He takes some paper out and he writes the story and it's called Springtime a la carte. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a terrific little story. So, I mean, I don't think he was sitting there thinking I've got to have a whole view of life to be able to do that. He was able to write a story about an incident and he made a story up like that. You know, everything sure. is you know, climbing
0: Everest. Sure. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. But again, it's it's getting at uh, I'm getting at a little bit of what you talk about in your introduction. So for those who want to be super well prepared for our next episode, my dad's introduction to the modern library classics book, The Complete Stories of Robert Louis Stevenson, is uh, what I'm going to be asking him about, and that is going to be coming up. Dad, thank you for walking us through all of these authors. We know there's so many more but I'm really looking forward to this season and uh, to I'm, I think it's going to be a little bit easier for me to plow my way through some of these short stories rather than plowing my way through Anna Karenina mm-hmm. so I have to admit that there is a, a little bit of an advantage in that but even more than that I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about uh, so many of these uh, pieces of art Wow! so here we go
1: okay Aaron it's good to see you good to be back alright aloha dad aloha